0: Today we get to uh, talk about probably one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. Let's hear it. Do you guys know it? John three sixteen. Everyone's kind of uncertain. They're like, maybe that's not the one. Yes, John three sixteen. So if you guys could open your Bibles to John chapter three, uh, and I'd like to ask Natalie to come up here and read the scripture for us.
1: This is the word of God from John three. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But for whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God.
0: Thanks, Natalie. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Merry Christmas. Uh, apparently, winter decided to come early in November. Actually, it's mostly turned to rain now, so I'm kind of disappointed. But either way, it's good to see you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad to have this opportunity to open uh, this this passage, this, this, this series of verses, which includes John 3.16, arguably one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, at least in recent history, the last hundred years or so. You see it on the eye, you know, the black eye guards of athletes. You see it in... Signs in the end zone, you see it on banners and billboards. you see it tattooed on people 's bodies. and John 3:16, even for those who maybe aren't very familiar with the scriptures or weren't raised in church, they at least know the reference, if not the words themselves. And so what I 'm praying today is that God would help me, and God would help all of us, to see these familiar words in a really fresh and new way, because actually, when you consider what 's being said here, the claims are actually rather shocking. And so my hope and my prayer today is that we would be awestruck by God and his love and his mercy. And so I'm just going to invite you to pray with me that God would send his Holy Spirit to show us these, these words, these familiar words, but to show them to us in a brand new and a fresh way. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that each and every week we can gather together like this. We can open up your word and we can look at who you are and what you came to do. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence now to be with us that you would bring to life these words which you inspired to be written so many years ago. You'd bring them to life in our hearts and in our minds. And God, I ask that you would guard my lips. You'd help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And may we all have eyes to see Jesus, to see the scriptures, to see ourselves, to see the world in a brand new way. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. I have a memory of being, uh, I guess, still a relatively young kid, maybe 10, 11 years old. And I went with my dad to the mall. Um, you guys remember what those things are before Amazon took over the world, right? I went to a mall and out in the mall, you have the stores, but out in the, in the middle, there were different kiosks and booths and they were selling things. And I, I very distinctly remember this. I, I probably was about 10, maybe 11 years old. And in the, this one kiosk, they had these posters, and when you look at this poster, it just kind of looked like a blue-green bunch of noise and static, and it was just, there was nothing special about the poster, and the people were trying to explain to us that if you looked at the poster this this certain special way, if you kind of crossed your eyes and stared off into the distance, you would see an image of a pony. And I remember looking at the poster. I remember being there, and my, my dad was looking at it. My dad goes, oh, OK, oh, yeah, look, look at that. And he, he saw it. And, and I remember being a kid, and I was like, Dad, you're losing your mind in your old age. There's nothing there. And I'm frustrated, and I'm staring, and I can't see it, and I can't see it. And it was maybe even like two or three times later of, of trips to the mall or, or inter, inter, interacting with those posters that finally something clicked, and I could see the pony. And my whole life had meaning. And does anybody, by the way, does anybody know what the official name of those 3D posters is? No, that's the brand. You're, you're buying into marketing. No. Wikipedia says, so you know it's true, that it's called an autostereogram. That's the name of the, of the thing. That, yes, the magic eye. Sorry, Alex. I shouldn't be so mean to you. But that's, yeah, that's what it's called. When, when you can't see it, it's frustrating, right? I remember being so frustrated. I wanted to see it. I wanted to look in, but but I needed this kind of proverbial switch to flip to be able to see the magic pony in this poster. We as human beings, we don't like being left in the dark, do we? If there's something to be seen, if there's something to be known, we want to see it. We want to know it. It is part of human nature. And this is played out in simple things like um, I hope and pray, by God's grace, that none of you saw a car accident driving here. You know, with the snow and falling. But, but if you did, what, what often happens? You see a car accident. What starts to happen, right? I call it rubbernecking because you're you're looking and you're you're trying to. Maybe if I could if I could look, I could see what's going on or I could see what caused the accident. Meanwhile, you yourself are causing another accident. Or maybe we want to see into bigger things, you know, classified documents, WikiLeaks, uh, JFK assassination files that were all recently released that you all spent hours pouring over. Or maybe that was just me. But we, we, we like to see things. We like to know things. If there's a perspective to be had, if there's, if there's a vantage point to be gained, I think it's just part of human nature. We want to see things. What if I told you that it was possible... To see the world, not from the vantage point of kings or rulers or the CIA, not from the vantage point of the head coach of the football team or anybody else that has a powerful position or privileged position. What if I told you that it was possible to see the world from God's vantage point? Would you be interested in that? That is the very claim that Jesus is making in this passage, in this conversation. We're going to see this conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And in, in this passage, Jesus is essentially saying that if you want, you can see the world through God's eyes. But there's, there's a catch. If you want to see, truly see God or yourself or the world or really anything, you need to have this new birth you need to have something take place inside of you where a switch is flipped that enables you to see things God's way. I know it's a, an imperfect analogy, but, but that 3D poster, you need to have something that just flips, a switch that flips to enable you to actually see what's going on. Let me show you where I, where I get this, this big idea. It's right here in the text itself. John chapter three, if you have your Bibles, scroll down there to it and uh, follow with me. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees, you'll remember, it's kind of one part philosophical school, one part political party. They were known for their exacting interpretation of the Hebrew Bible. They, 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 they prided themselves on being accurate and being knowledgeable. And this man, Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jews. So he's not only a member of this party, but he's an important, he's, he's the chairman of the board. He's a director of some sort. This man came to Jesus by night. Why do, you think, why do you think Nicodemus came by night, by the way? Secret? Yeah. Jesus is a controversial figure. And so it is possible that, that Nicodemus is maybe afraid of some blowback. He's afraid of repercussions, meeting with this controversial Jesus. So he comes to him at night. But, but with the apostle John, when he writes his, his gospel, there's always more happening than just what's on the surface. I think John wants us to realize that Nicodemus is in the dark. He's coming at night because the light hasn't been flipped on yet. He comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, it's a term of respect, teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now you remember just two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Shane preached on the first sign that publicly Jesus did, the, the transformation of water into wine. But here we see there's other signs that are happening. Jesus is doing other miracles, other powerful signs. Nicodemus recognizes that and he says, well, you must, you must be sent by God. No one could be doing these great signs if he wasn't sent from God. The, the, the problem with that, it, it sounds nice. It sounds like Nicodemus is doing a good job of respecting Jesus, but he's completely missing the point, right? Right? Jesus didn't come claiming to be a good teacher who does cool things and great signs from God. Jesus came claiming to be the Messiah, the son of God. We've we've been saying this for the last six weeks as going through this, this gospel of John, the, the purpose statement, John says, I'm writing this so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. So here, Nicodemus is close, but oh, so far away. Oh, you're a good teacher sent from God. And Jesus Correctly rebukes him, essentially. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is essentially saying, you're in the dark. Now this phrase, born again, it's unfortunate that it's, uh, in many ways, it's unfortunate that it's become such a common phrase, almost a cliche in our culture, right? If people most commonly use the phrase born again in our culture. What are they using it as? Like a term of derision. or making fun of you. Oh, there go those born again people again. I think there's even a movie called Born Again in which they make fun of Christians. It's a term of derision. It's a term of, of even mockery. But we as a culture can't escape this idea of new birth, regeneration, a reborn, just when you thought somebody was down. They get back up again, and that's the plot of Rocky 26, right? Like just, we, we have all these movies, superhero movies, cultural phenomena, whatever it might be. We love the story. I mean, even as, as much as it pains me to admit, last year's Super Bowl, the Patriots were dead and buried, and they come storming back, and people are calling it the greatest Super Bowl of all time. Why? Because we love this rebirth I can't believe I just gave the Patriots credit publicly. I'll never do that again. This is a special moment. We won't even post this one on the internet so that people don't hear that, okay? We love this idea of rebirth and, 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 and a, a fresh start. So it's unfortunate that this language of born again has become such a cliche term. But maybe if, if this helps you, you can understand that the word for again in the Greek is anothen, and the word anothen, it can mean again, but it also can mean above. Again or above. Jesus is saying you need to be born from above. If you're thinking, well, what's the relationship there? Think of it like if a musician says, let's take it from the top. Let's go again. Let's go, let's go from above. Let's go from the top, the beginning. Jesus is saying, unless you are born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. Your eyes literally don't work. You have no ability to see the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It means God ruling and reigning over what, sound city? Everything. What is there that God does not rule and reign over? What is it that is not rightfully his? It means everything, the world, the environment, the arts, marriage, gender, money, church, politics, everything being under the wise and loving and gracious rule of our God and king. Unless you are born again, you can't see it. You can't see things the way that God sees things. You can't see what it's like to have God truly be in charge. So that's what our big idea is today. We we want to get this vantage point of God. We want to to be able to see things the way he sees them, but we need this new birth. We need to be born again. We need to be born from above. And as we keep looking at our passage, we're going to really focus in on three elements. We're going to focus in on the source of this new birth. We're going to focus in on the motive behind the new birth. And then the results of this new birth. Okay, so the source, the motive, and the results. Let's keep going in verse four. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, in case you were reading too quickly, that's hilarious. Okay, Uh, John does this on purpose. He takes a scholar, a respected man, a a leader of the Pharisees and has him kind of going like, well, that doesn't make sense. How am I going to get back in my mommy's tummy? Like it's ridiculous, right? It's as ridiculous. it's, it's, It's so ridiculous that a man who is this learned and this knowledgeable of the scriptures would be this clueless about what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Like, don't be surprised, Nicodemus. Why are you so shocked I'm telling you about this? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus is essentially saying, hey, there's a a different type of birth that I'm talking about. I am not talking about natural birth. I am not talking about you re-entering the the womb of your mother and and being born again in that way. I'm talking about a different type of birth. There's a flesh birth. There's a, a body birth. But there's a spiritual birth. Notice how Jesus says that which is born of water is You know, there's born of water and then born of the Spirit. He's kind of contrasting two births here. Some people think that when Jesus references being born of water, he's talking about baptism, the act of baptism. That's a totally valid interpretation uh, perspective. To me, that seems a little bit uh, kind of reading too much into the text. I I think that Jesus is just simply talking about a physical birth, right? What happens when a woman enters into the birth process? What's the first thing that happens? What breaks? What breaks? The water breaks. By the way, we have had four babies born into Sound City Bible Church in the last two weeks, and I know of at least five other couples who are pregnant and expecting. So our church growth strategy is going very well. Good job, you guys. Good job. Also, sign up to serve in kids ministry, okay? When when, when someone is born of water, when someone is born of the flesh, that's just a natural birth. But Jesus is saying, you need this rebirth, and it's a spiritual birth. You need a a spiritual type of birth. One of the things I said a few weeks ago, and it bears repeating here, is John never uses the word repent in his gospel. Remember that? In the other gospels, Jesus says, repent, you've transgressed. Repent of your sin, receive forgiveness. That's a very valid, a very biblical way of looking at the the issue of what's gone wrong between us and God. But but John comes along and he brings a little bit of a different perspective. For John, the way that he frames the problem is that we have been, because of our folly and rebellion and hard-heartedness, we have been disconnected from the source of life that mankind, Adam and Eve, were were created to live in the presence of God. It says in John chapter one, that God is life in himself. And this life was the light of men, that we're meant to be plugged into the source of all power and all life, that we are contingent beings. We, We derive our life from God, but because of our desire to be our own rulers, the desire to be our own God, our own King, to do life our own way on our own terms, we have been unplugged from the proverbial source of power. I know it's a a very imperfect analogy, but I think it works for many of us. The moment that you unplug your phone in the morning and leave the house, it is draining. It is dying. It's got some life left in it, but it's not going to last. In the gospel of John, Jesus uses agricultural metaphors, which have been more appropriate for them. He talked about if a branch gets cut off, it looks alive for a little while, but eventually it withers and dies. Your phone withers and dies. The branches wither and die unless they are connected to the source of power. For us, what we need is we need to be reconnected to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way that John is framing this. And he says, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Uh, the, The wind blows wherever it wants to and the spirit. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Don't be shocked. It's, it's hard to understand. I get it. But, but this is what's happening. Now, we miss this in our English translations. But in verse eight, where it says the wind blows where it wishes, and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is, is everyone who is born of the spirit. The word there for wind and spirit in the Greek is the same word. It's the word pneuma. It's where we get words like pneumonia. And you're like, why does it have a P at the beginning? Well, because of Greek, okay? It's, it's the same word. Basically, John is, is using a, a kind of a phrase. He's, he's making a play on words here. Look, the wind blows. The, the pneuma blows wherever it wishes. You don't see it. You hear it sound. You see what it's doing. So it is with the pneuma. Don Carson, a scholar and commentator, he says this, the point is that the wind can neither be controlled nor understood by human beings. Remembering, of course, that this was written before modern meteorology alleviated at least some of our lack of understanding. But that doesn't mean we cannot detect the wind's effects. We hear its sound. We watch the swaying grasses. We see the clouds scudding by. We hide in fear before the worst windstorms, so it is with the spirit. We can neither control him nor understand him, but that doesn't mean we cannot witness his effects. Where the spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. Friends, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit. Some Christians, some people say things like, oh, you've, you've gotten saved, but now you need to get the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible is consistent. When you repent of your sin, you trust in Jesus, you say, God, I, I, have, I have lived life on my own terms. I've tried to be my own king, my own ruler, my own master. I, I'll repent. I want to come to you. That God reconnects you to himself by his Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, like the wind. Sometimes it's hard to see. Is, is God really there? But then after a while, you start to look. Yeah, there's, there's some effects. There's some changes. I can see that there's been this reconnection established between my life and God. Sometimes, sometimes it's harder to see it in our own lives than it is in the lives of others. Amen? Sometimes you look at your own life like, man, I'm, I am still really sinful and really broken. But you look at other people like, wow, God's really done a cool work in their life. And I, I see this rebirth that's happened. I also... <laughs> I also like kind of the, the way that Jesus is correcting Nicodemus because he's like, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you're a, you're a teacher of the scriptures. Haven't you read all throughout the prophets like Ezekiel where he talks about giving a new spirit? Look at like in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from all your uncleannesses, which is really the word that they use. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new, what's the word, Sound City? Spirit, I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my, what is it again? Spirit, I'll put my spirit within you to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's plan for salvation has always been to reconnect us to himself by the power of his Holy Spirit. He is the source of this new birth. He is the agent of this new birth. And by the way, you can't control him. This is not something that we work up and do in and of ourselves. You cannot go to God by the strength of your own willpower and say, here I am, plug me back in. (sighs) As weird as that sounds, right? What if if that was your salvation prayer, right? (laughs) here I am, Lord, please plug me back in. This is a work that the Holy Spirit himself has to do. We don't get to claim our great superiority. We don't get to come and say, oh, I did these wonderful things, right? I was smart enough or I was clever enough or I was talented enough or I was humble enough. To, the only thing we can do is throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. And he is the one that does the work within us. You cannot save yourself. You cannot reconnect yourself to God. It is only a work of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it will. You can't control it. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen? So if you're saved, if you're a Christian, it's a gift of God's grace. And you have no place to claim superiority over anyone else. But you get to humbly come before God and just say thank you. Amen? Now, Nicodemus is confused. A little sidebar here, still some more confusion. Verse nine, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. It's still nighttime in Nicodemus's mind. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Why does does Jesus speak in the plural there? Triune God. So I I thought, yeah, a lot of commentators point he's speaking for himself and the father we speak. I also think there's a little humor there because Nicodemus comes in verse two and says, well, we know you're a teacher sent from God. And Jesus goes, well, we are trying to tell you about some things and you're not getting it. So I think there's some irony there, okay? But you're probably right, Vicki. (laughs) Yours is probably the more sound biblical interpretation. He says, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He's like, Jesus is like, I'm trying to tell you some things here. Because I've actually seen it. I've actually been there, but you're not believing me. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how can I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. There's so many callbacks happening here in this passage. You remember a few weeks ago when Jesus called Nathanael and he told Nathanael, he said, I am Jacob's ladder. I'm that stairway to heaven that connects God and mankind. The angels are ascending and descending on me. He's he's referencing that again. He's basically saying, I'm from heaven. I know what I'm talking about. Would you please trust Trust me and believe me. Nicodemus is just having a hard time. Now, Jesus now gets into the second portion of, of this new birth, the motive behind the new birth. This is important. Watch what he says. Verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then just because we can, would you read this out loud with me? John 3, 16. So Jesus has said, you can have this vision, this perspective of the kingdom of God, but it only comes through this new birth, this birth from above that comes from the Holy Spirit. Why? Why would God offer us this new birth? Why would God want to give us his perspective? Why would God offer any of this to us at all? Why? He loves us. Friends, some of you have been in the church and you're familiar with the scriptures and you've heard for years that God loves you and the weight of those words does not shock you anymore. But think about what that means. Think about what that says. Have you, have you looked at the mess that humanity has created on planet earth? Have you looked at the devastation? We who were created in his image and likeness, we who were meant by, by his design to rule over his creation, to steward over his creation as his representatives, we who were meant to display his glory to the world and instead we've had, created a world of violence and racism and exploitation and, and all manner of wickedness and selfishness and evil. We have wrought devastation on God's good creation, have we not? What do we rightly deserve? Condemnation. We rightly deserve condemnation, but God who is rich in love is not willing to let his creation go to hell. This is the the offer that's there for us. It's the love of God. Are you shocked by those words? Are you surprised by those words that God would have this type of love and affection in his heart for us? And a lot, of, a lot of ink has been spilled over John the 16, over the, word, over the words uh, only begotten son or, or one and only son, meaning God's unique, one of a kind son. But the phrase that grabbed me, the word that grabbed me this week as I was studying and preparing was the word so. For God so loved the world. Now, when the Bible was translated into English hundreds of years ago, The the word so meant something a little bit different than it means to us today. When we talk about for God so loved the world, my hunch is that most of you hear that as a so of magnitude, a so of degree. God loved the world so much. How How many of you, you're tracking with me on that, okay? God loved the world so much. That is not what the word underneath so, the Greek word uh, that's translated so, does not mean a so of magnitude. God does love us so much. It's just that John 3.16 doesn't say that. There are other verses that say that. You look at Ephesians or Romans or other places. God loves us a lot. But what John is saying here is not God loved us so much. God loved us just so. Some other translations put it for God loved us in this way. Here is how God loved us. What does he say? Well, The answer is actually back in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man uh, must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life for this is the way God loved the world. You, you, You track him with me. How how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God loves you? John says, well, it's kind of like when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And some of you go, what? To which I say, well, you need to read the book of Numbers more, okay? Uh, Because Numbers chapter 21, if, if you remember the story, the people of Israel, they're wandering through the desert. Stop me if you've heard this one. They start complaining. (sighs) <sighs> they start grumbling and whining. Oh, we had it better back in Egypt. And oh, this is, Moses, you're just a bad leader and you wanted us to starve to death. And we had, we had onions back in Egypt. We could go back and we could build some pyramids. And they're just whining. And they're complaining after God redeemed them out of slavery. And so God visits judgment on them. And what does he send? It says he sends not just serpents, but fiery serpents. Fiery serpents come into the camp and start biting people. Fire, I don't think it means like fiery serpents, like, like snakes on fire. That's terrifying. Uh, but meaning snakes that deliver poisonous bites. If you've ever been bitten by a snake, actually, really quickly, has anyone here ever been bit by a snake? Okay, thank God. It's because we live in Washington. So, but it talked about like a sensation like burning, like fire. And so God is visiting judgment on his hard-hearted, stubborn, rebellious people by sending snakes into the camp, and it's biting them. And then God gives this provision. If you look in Numbers 21, God gives this provision of his grace. He says to Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent, and I want you to set it on a pole. Actually, I was just talking with a member uh, after the first service who um, he works in the medical field. He had, a, a, he had his jacket on from work, and it had a, a pole with a snake wrapped around it. You still see this represented in, in different places. I want you to make a snake, a fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, they would just look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, does that strike anyone here as odd? God says... In order to be healed of this poison that is now running through your veins, you have to take your eyes and you have to look at the source of the problem. You need to see just how ugly this problem really is. Now, most of you are used to thinking of the serpent as the devil, which is a very biblical metaphor. The serpent is Satan, our great enemy. But how many of you know that the Bible actually speaks of Jesus Christ? As being the serpent. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Son of Man needs to become the serpent, Son of Man needs to be made the poison. Son of man needs to be made into the source of the problem and be lifted up and put in front of your face so you can see the reality of just how ugly our sin really is. The Apostle Paul writes on this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've heard people ask, what's the deal with the cross? I actually had this conversation with a, a non-Christian man about, about maybe a month ago. Can we just get over the cross? He said that. I mean, the tomb is empty. Now, granted, the tomb is empty. I'm gonna get there in a minute. Hold on. But it was this question, Can just get over the cross. What's the big deal with the cross? But when we look at the cross, what do we see? We see injustice, the most innocent man treated in the most unjust man. When we look at the cross, what do we see? We see violence, the the meat hanging off of jesus' body, shredded to ribbons. When we look at the cross, what do we see mockery, people spitting on him and, and, and cursing him and, and having A laugh at his expense, literally laughing as a man bleeds and struggles for breath. It does not get any uglier than the cross. And when we look at the cross, we are forced to confront the reality that that ugliness is what is within each and every single one of our hearts. But the story does not end there because God in his grace has told us that he made Jesus to become sin, to take all of our sin upon himself. So what? So that we could receive his righteousness. This is an unbelievable offer of grace. What an amazing God that we serve. And what we're reminded is this is what God's love looks like. We deserve the cross. We deserve condemnation. It says in verses 17 and 18, we deserve condemnation. But the offer because of God's great love is that Jesus would be the serpent that we look at. And in him, we find our life. This is a great exchange, is it not? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. How, I asked that question a moment ago. How do, you, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God loves you? If your answer is, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, my relationships are good, my feelings are good, my emotions are good, those things are fleeting, are they not? It's, it's great to experience God's love in a blessing. Sometimes, you know, through a, a material blessing, things like that, God does give blessings and they are reminders of God's love. I'm not throwing stones at those things, but if that is where your ultimate hope is found, it's a very insecure footing, is it not? Dear Christian, do you want to know if God loves you? You look at the cross. For God loved us in this way. Well, but Pastor Aaron, that's not my love language. Okay, sorry. Um, I want to be loved in a money sort of way. Well, look, we've all got sin we need to repent of. It's fine. No, we, we come to God and we know that he loves us because we look at the cross. What can change the cross? Can anything change the cross? If you're feeling good, does the cross move? If you're feeling bad, does the cross move? If your bank account is full, or your bank account is empty, does does that change the fact that Jesus died and rose again, becoming our sin to give us his righteousness? Does any of that change the cross, friends? No, it stands stamped indelibly in human history for us to know God loved us just so. He loved us in this way. This is amazing. This is amazing. And then Jesus finishes the conversation verse 19, with some results of this new birth. So this is the judgment. This is, this is what we can see. This is what we can determine. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Um, Earlier this week, I think it was on on Monday morning, I I woke up and I checked Facebook after I read the Bible, of course, uh, for purposes of this illustration. Pretty sure I did. Definitely after I got a cup of coffee. And I checked Facebook and uh, one of my neighbors lives about two blocks away from me, posted, he said, Hey, does anybody know anybody that drives a red Mustang? Because some kids driving a red Mustang went through our neighborhood last night and shot out a bunch of people's windows with a BB gun. I know. I was, I was, I was upset as well. And he's, you know, one of the neighbors had a security camera and could kind of see the color and the make of the car and was just asking anybody, no know, and, 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 you know, how are we going to catch these people or, you know, get the information to the police? The point being, when, when did those kids when do they do that 10 in the morning 3:30 in the afternoon no when do they do it middle of the night darkness shrouding their wicked deeds when we are disconnected from the source of life. When we're disconnected from God, our, our deeds are wicked. Our deeds are evil. And there's, there's a shamefulness there. But then when God plugs us back in and the, the power comes back on, we start to see like, oh, I've been in the dark. I haven't, I haven't noticed these things. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever um, had someone knock on your door like right first thing in the morning when you just woke up? You're like, don't come to me first thing in the morning. I just turned the lights on. I'm still in my, you know, rumpled pajamas and my hair's a mess or whatever, right? You, that, that feeling of feeling exposed. Oh Jesus is saying that part of this new birth, when, when you've received this new birth and you start to see God, you start to see yourself in a new light as well. And you start to realize that a lot of your deeds, they've been done in the dark because they're shameful. And we have to, by his grace, start walking in a new way of living. This new birth results in a new way of life. Amen? Now, this means a couple of things. This means a couple of things. First of all, it means that if you're a Christian, it means that your desires actually start to change. Things that you once loved, things that you once found beautiful or attractive or desirous, they lose their appeal and new things become appealing to you. Scott Swain, who's a theologian, writes this, The Christian life begins with regeneration. When the Spirit brings the gospel effectively to bear upon the sinner's heart, he implants a new principle of life. This new principle of life enables a new vision. This new principle of life not only enables new vision, it also issues forth new desires, new thirsts, new hungers. So your desires start to change. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you Christians wake up this morning and you find yourself in a state of perfection? Raise your hand. (laughs) All right, good. Because if you did, we'd have to talk afterwards. One of the things that you realize is, is that God progressively shines the light on us more and more, and we start to see even deeper and deeper things in our hearts that make us go, ugh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that was there. Ugh. Oh. You know, we all as Christians, we, we deal with in some way or another what, what theologians call remaining sin. The Bible calls it the old man. There's just a part of us that still loves the darkness. There's a part of us that does not yet love the light. And the life of a Christian is one of being more and more increasingly brought into the light. We're being from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed so we look more like Jesus. What do we do in the meantime with those things that make us cringe? We walk in the light. I know there are some of you here that have avoided joining a community group because you, you really struggle with the idea of talking openly, honestly, and frankly about sin in your own life, and maybe even more so, you really struggle with hearing other people talk about their sin. God's desire for us is not that we would simply come to a church service, hear a good message about, you know, walking in the light, and then we go and exist Apart from other believers, actually, this same Apostle John, when he writes his letter, uh, 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light means that you start to take steps to be courageous To say, I've been connected to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been given new birth. I've been given new eyes. I I see things a little bit differently. I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to step into the light and I'm going to admit that I'm not perfect. And by doing so, by by shining God's light into those areas of darkness that remain in our heart, guess what? Our hearts become soft again. We get healed. So this means that we as Christians need to be courageous to step into the light. Amen? Amen? But it also means that we as Christians lose the right to be shocked or offended when someone else steps into the light. I know you know what I'm talking about. You're at your community group or you're at coffee with someone and and then they just they just open up and kind of lay a bomb out on the table, right? Yeah, I got, I got I got so drunk two nights ago that I blacked out and fell asleep in my kitchen. Yeah, I haven't looked at Pornography in, in two years, but I, I just did last week. Yeah, I've been, I've been, you know, cheating and stealing money from my work. Oh yeah, I've been, I just was super angry at someone, just completely gossiped and shredded them and tore them down. Whatever comes out. Friends, if you're a Christian, God has known every sin that you have committed, are committing, will ever commit, and God still sent his son Jesus to die for you knowing full well everything that you would ever do. If we are in the light as he is in the light, we not only have to be courageous to start walking in the light, but we lose the right to be shocked and offended when someone else does what Jesus says and steps into the light. Amen. So when some the next time somebody confesses some gnarly thing, you do not get to go <gasps> what? You get to say praise God the Spirit is at work. There's been a new birth. There's a new desire. There's new opportunities to walk in the light. I've never seen God. I've never seen the Holy Spirit, but right now I'm getting to witness the wind blowing. For those of you who are here today who are not Christians, you're not believers in Jesus, I hope and I pray that you will seriously consider Jesus' invitation God has demonstrated his love. All of the brokenness, all of the poison that's in your own heart, God ha- has taken and has put onto his own son. And you, by faith, can be joined with him and receive this, this new life, this, this new vision, this new birth that we're talking about. And it's nothing that you do, it's nothing that you conjure up. God's not interested in your mighty heroic efforts. He's interested in your sincerity. God, I have sinned. God, I have chosen to live life on my own terms. And I, I come to you today and ask for that grace. I ask for that new life. Would you, would you do something I can't do myself? Give me that vision. I, I can't conjure it up myself. Would you do that work within me? For those of you who are Christians and you've heard the words of John 3:16 10,000 times, would you hear them again today, fresh? When was the last time you were shocked by the scandalous love of God? Walking in just daily awe of who he is. And where is God calling you to step into the light. Father, I'm praying now for any and all who are here who are not yet believers. Jesus, I'm, I'm praying that you would send your Holy Spirit that they would all of a sudden just like the proverbial being able to see the 3D poster. God, would you just flip that switch in their hearts right now to enable them to see Jesus lifted up before us to receive eternal life, to receive forgiveness, to receive grace, no condemnation. And God, I'm praying for those who are already Christians here today. God, would you give us fresh eyes and fresh perspective to see Jesus, to be in awe of the love of our God and to be courageous enough to step into the light because God, you've given us new eyes to really see everything, everything in a whole new way. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Church, I want to invite us into a time of response now, and we're going to respond as we do in a couple of different ways. The first is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. While the volunteers begin collecting the offering, let me say, if you are a guest or a visitor, we say this often, uh, nobody is trying to twist your arm or or obligate you into giving. But for any and all who, who call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, This is an opportunity to respond in worship to what God has done. What did we just read? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's a generosity in who our God is, and so there's an invitation to respond in generosity. You can give online. There's a way to text to give if that's uh, helpful for you, or you can give here in person. Now, typically what I do here is I, I start reading some discussion questions and things to help us talk in our community groups this week, but I want to do something a little bit different today. We're going we're to leave those aside. Those are in your handout. Those are online if you need them. But if you have your Bibles open still and you want to flip forward a few pages to John chapter 6, we're going to do a little bit of a sneak preview uh, what we'll be preaching on here in a few months. But John chapter 6 will be our, our communion text for today. And Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000 and the people want more bread. They, they really like this trick, this miracle that he did, but Jesus wants to point the people to the deeper reality. I'm going to pick up in verse 53. Listen, listen to the words of Jesus as the uh, volunteers begin handing out the elements for communion. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That was shocking then. That still sounds shocking to us right now, does it not? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, here's the word I want you to focus in, abides in me. That word abide is, that's that connection, that's being plugged back in. As the living Father sent me, there it is, life, life is in the Father. And I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Friends, we're going to take in just a moment these elements. I'll invite the musicians to come too to prepare to begin to lead us in in a time of worship and singing. In a moment, we'll invite our younger students class to join us as well. But as as we have these elements, listen, There is nothing magical about this piece of bread and this cup. The only magical thing might be how they made it taste so terrible, okay? (laughs) But here, we express this deepest reality that we are feeding upon Christ himself, and in so doing, we have life. For God loved the world in this way, that Christ's body would be broken and his blood would be shed. This is how God has loved the world. And so as we enter into this time of of celebration and worship, the musicians will play instrumentally for a minute. You have time to just sit and pause and reflect. When the time is right, we can stand and sing together of the incredible love of God. But but I want you to eat and to drink today and to do so with a heart of thanksgiving, saying, God, thank you that we have life because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Father God, for for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your body being broken and your blood being spilled for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that your presence is with us right now to enliven us to know Christ more. And we pray that now our time of singing and our time of celebrating the Lord's table would be rich and would be profitable for us and that we would see and savor Christ in brand new ways today. We pray all of this in his good name. Amen.